This is unstructured. Hey, everybody. Today, I'm with Pat Flynn. No, not that Pat Flynn. We have to cover that one, too. This is Pat Flynn out of Philadelphia, or at least the area, and he is the author of the upcoming book, How to Be Better at Almost Everything, and host of The Pat Flynn Show. He is not the host of Smart Passive Income, though. How are you doing today, Pat? Good. I often offer up the not very funny joke that I'm the second most famous Pat Flynn on the internet. And which makes me better than the third. There is like another guitarist, Pat Flynn, which the funny story there is I am also a guitarist. So it's possible to mix me up with the third most famous Pat Flynn as well. So there's three Pat Flynn's, well, two other Pat Flynn's that constantly annoy me. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, I'm sure they're great people. Um, and Got a fourth one for you, too. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's I, a Dr. Patrick Finn. Who, Flynn, who writes um sex book on Amazon. Okay, well, I probably won't be mixed up with that Pat Flynn, but I suppose it's possible. Um, More on the medical side. I don't think it was us. <laughs> yes, <laughs> but, but the first Pat Flynn is funny because for, for a very long time, we've been constantly mixed up because I've done so much in the fitness space and he's been so much in the, in the business space. But now my new book is going to be in the business space. So I don't expect that confusion to dissipate in, in the upcoming years. And, and we've connected loosely. We were actually going to possibly do a little podcast thing, but I, I just haven't followed up with his booking assistant to. on that. Yeah. I mean, just at this point, I figure at some point the confusion, or at least I hope the confusion will, will be returned more so in his direction that we'll have to just reconcile the matter one way or another, but we'll see. You have to, you have to, mm-hmm. I mean, and you can you know, bill yourself as evil Pat Flynn in the episode, or you can bill him evil Pat Flynn. Have fun with it. Yeah, there's a lot of directions we could take with it. And I've heard his stuff is good. I'll be honest. I haven't read a lot of it. I haven't listened to his podcast. I know he's one of the biggest podcasters. I probably should. I, he's like the podcaster on podcasting, isn't he? <laughs> um, he's he's way up there. He has done um, podcasts on that. And he does le- lecture at almost every podcast event that can afford him. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, he's. you've probably heard of John Lee Dumas. I have. They're about equal. Yeah. Okay, cool. So let's stop giving him so much attention. I agree. Yeah. Now you, on the other hand, other than see, he's just a, a business guy and a podcaster. You, on the other hand, are a writer, philosopher, business and fitness coach, a guitarist, seventh degree black belt, follower of Christ. <laughs> seventh degree black belt in hanging out. I'm only a first degree. Do we put the, the did you miss the parentheses there? The, oh, I don't know. I caught that on your uh, web page. It's so. funny because it was it was one of those, you know, tongue in cheek things where it was like seventh uh, degree black belt parentheses in hanging out. Technically, I'm a first degree. I'll be testing for my second degree here in February. So we'll okay. we'll, we'll get up there. But yeah, well, that's, that's a decent summary. That's uh, many more degrees than I have. <laughs> they, they don't mean that much. And the truth is, is I should be a lot higher than I am in Taekwondo uh, because I've been doing Taekwondo for enough years that I, I should probably be a fourth or a fifth, but I just, you know, testing is a, is often a formality. I was, I was kind of on the competing side for many years, so I just didn't pay much attention to that. And I just wanted to win matches. Well, cool. Now, um, from my understand, you actually started out in music growing up mm-hmm. and got interested in fitness by way of martial arts. Yeah, this is true. I was, um, very unproductive and unhealthy growing up 
for a lot of my life, decided I needed to do something about that. Walked into a Taekwondo studio because it was close to my school and was kind of too shy or embarrassed to go into the weight room with everybody else. Ended up falling in love with it. Started to give me confidence, taught me about fitness, taught me about discipline, taught me about process, taught me a lot of things. Started to get me into weight training, eventually kettlebells, which became a big part of of my eventual career. And I competed for many years. And yeah, that's that's how a lot of things started. So martial arts brought me into fitness. Yeah. That's very cool. Now, um, interestingly, though, your degree... Or I don't know. Do you have a degree in philosophy and economics? I'm doing a master's in systematic philosophy now. Uh, My other degrees are I have a dual in economics and finance. Okay. So that's a slight departure from martial arts and music. Yes. Yeah, it is, isn't it? I was originally going to school for jazz performance on guitar. And I'm like, you know, this is everything I hate about music. Why do I want to, why do I want to do this? So I'll just still keep doing music the way I want to do it and study the musicians. I actually want to sound like and play and I'll major in actually something I I am in economics is a deep interest of mine. So it's something I, I do enjoy. Um, Plus, you know, there's always that family encouragement when you're like, get a real degree, you know, what the heck are you going to do with a music <laughs> degree? So, no, originally I was going to school for music, but made this switch fairly early on to uh, economics and, and finance. That's interesting. Um, so you do read music then? I can. Mm-hmm. I'm not I'm not the best at it. It was one of those things where about two to three years before going to college, my instructor's like, Hey, if you want to, you know, get serious, because most guitarists are notorious for not being able to read music. And I was, no, I was mm-hmm. no different than that. But he's like, look, if you're going to get into school for this, you got to be able to, to sight read. So I got in a jazz band, started trying to acquire this skill as rapidly as I could to the extent that I felt I needed it. I never wanted to be an amazing sight reader. I was much more concerned with other aspects of, of the instrument. So yeah, I, I can. Not the That's best. That's cool. So, yeah. So you weren't going to be a session guy then? No, I didn't want to be. I wanted to be a, a just a straight up. And there's, you'd be surprised. You know, there's a lot of session guys, a lot of rock musicians who can't read music. When, I mean, one of my favorite guitarists, one of my greatest influences, Paul Gilbert. Uh, if you know who he is, if you're in the guitar world, he played with like Racer X and Mr. Big, kind of the 80 shredders style. He can't read. He can't read music. <laughs> a lot of most, a lot of like virtuoso guitarists you think could read music. Just they, they, you put a chart in front of them, they'd have no idea what to do with it. Okay, well, yeah, and guitar has a lot of play by ear, especially with the blues background. Yep. Yeah. I mean, that's again, it's a notorious thing, but it goes to show, like how how necessary is that skill? And that's that's something that I started to question a lot with a lot of things I'm doing now, you know, what skills are necessary for the things I want to achieve. And I realized that it was necessary to the extent I needed it to get in school, but it hasn't been necessary for anything else I've wanted to do as a musician. Cool. And that's actually a perfect lead in. And part of why I'm asking all these random things is because you are sort of establishing yourself as you call yourself a generalist Mm -hmm. and you seem to live by the Pareto principle. Yeah, somewhat. So, you know, the 80-20 rule, which is a famous economic principle, which it, which it won't teach you in most, you know, economic courses, oddly enough. Um, but, you know, it says that 20% of your harvest will come from, or 80% of your harvest will come from 20% of the crop. It seems to be a fairly universal principle. 
Um, I tried to do that as a matter of efficiency. I also say in, in terms of generalist, uh, you know, I'm a minimalist. I'm always, I'm always trying to think, well, what's the most effective and efficient way ahead to the goal? Right. But, but I also have this other rule called the rule of 80%, which people sometimes mix up with 80-20. And I think they're both important. But the rule for me of 80% of being a generalist is, is more like this. For any skill that you can think of, rarely do you need to be more than 80% good at it. So if 100% is best in the world, right? Unless unless you want to be a Michael Phelps, which was just never in the cards for me and is never in the cards for most people, chances are 80% of any skill is going to be far more than, than you need to achieve the things you want. And to the extent that you're getting closer to that 80% line, which for many skills is 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 beyond the level of mastery anyways, chances are that skill is no longer your problem. And this was something that was brought to my attention, you know, when I first started getting serious coaching people in fitness is, is, you know, if you have, uh, if you want to be strong and, 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 and lose weight and be generally fit and, um, you know, you're, you're really strong at the bench press and you keep getting stronger at the bench press. Maybe you're not 80%. I mean, think of 80% of the world's strongest bench press. It's going to be some ridiculous number, far more than any person who just wants to be in general good shape would need. Sure. But, but the truth is at some point, the bench press is no longer your problem. Something else is your problem. And I, I kind of like the idea of 80% where at, you don't even have to get to 80%, but at most, at most, that's probably about as far as, as we really need to go in any one particular skill, unless, of course, we are trying to be the best in the world. But my whole message is don't be a specialist, be a generalist. You'll find a lot more opportunities in life by stacking skills to form competitive and creative advantages that way, rather than trying to be the best at just one thing. Right. Now what you're actually, it does tie in, you're talking about the law of diminishing returns. Yep. Because by the time you get to 80%, every other step is about five times as difficult. Thus, it is the Pareto principle. If you're going to talk about being truly a world-class expert, in 20% of the time, you're 80% there. It takes 80% more time to become the best. Yeah, that's absolutely correct. I mean, there's, there's, and the diminishing returns, you know, kick in a lot sooner than I think people often think. Um, by the time you get to 80%, you're already going to be in deep diminishing returns territory for most skills. Um, and uh, have you heard of um, Scott Adams? Yeah, the Dilbert guy. Yeah, he actually spends a lot of time talking about skill stacking as well. Mm -hmm. um, and that was how he became as wealthy and powerful as he is because believe it or not, it's very difficult to become a cartoonist. Yeah. And what may be the best selling cartoonist um, in the past 20 years. Yeah. It's funny. And the, the idea is by no means original to me, even if I'm just helping to give it a new spin or angle. One of the, there was two times as a music musician that the, that the idea became known to me. One of course is, is the band kiss Gene Simmons. Right sure. now, now has anybody ever confused Kiss or any member of Kiss as being the best musician in the world? They never claim it. I, they never claim it, but they'll actively claim that they're good at a lot of other things. I mean, Gene Simmons is a, is a marketing genius by all well, accounts. Gene Simmons said one of my favorite quotes of all time, and that was somebody went up to him and accused him. He said, "You're nothing but a sellout," and he said, "Son, I sold out the day I started." <laughs> I mean, I mean, it just makes me appreciate him so much more. But here's this band that that was, you know, one of the hottest bands in the world. They claimed they were the hottest band in the world. They at least claimed that. None of them were 
were particularly the greatest musicians, but they were certainly good. They could write catchy tunes, but they knew how to put on a show. They knew how to dress up. They knew how to entertain. They knew how to market themselves. It was this collection of skills and not concerned with being the best at any one thing, you know, the best drummer, the best guitarist, or this or that. So that, that, that started it for me, started the idea of generalism. Another one was Angus Young. Loved him. I'm looking at a Gibson SG right now, you know, which I, I have because of Angus. And um, same thing, great guitar player, certainly no Steve Vai or somebody like that, but dresses up in the schoolboy outfit, outfit, can entertain a crowd, can engage with a crowd, funny dude, uh, just the kind of guy you, you just want to see play, even if you can find better guitar players. So there's something there. Seems to be a a, package. Yeah, it's it's exactly it. There's a package there, and the best guitar players, you know, people I think of on a very high technical level, Joe Satriani or Ingve Momsen. Yeah, Ingve especially. Right? How many people really know who he is aside from guitar players? Almost nobody. Almost nobody. And even most really hardcore specialist guitar players, let's be honest, don't can't listen to him for all that long. Right? It's not enjoyable. It's not. It's like, cool, man. Like, you're so fast. Your sweet picking is incredible. But I can only listen to that for like one or two songs, me. And then I got to go back to, to, to ACDC or something. There's like actually a, a, a perfect anecdote on that. I don't, I want to say it was um, Leo Fender's mm-hmm. anniversary, but it could have been Gibson. But they had an event and the featured performer was Eddie Van Halen. Mm-hmm. I'm not really a big Eddie Van Halen fan, but he went up there and did his typical noodling. Yep. And what was so funny is like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then following him came up David Gilmore. Yeah. And Gilmore plays very slow. Mm-hmm. But the soulful tone that comes out of his guitar is just amazing. Mm-hmm. And after he played, it was a standing ovation in the whole place. Yeah, and this was something too because I fell into the trap. I wanted to be an Ingve Malmstein, right? I wanted to be one of those, just the most pyrotechnic guitar player. And then I would go and we would do these Battle of the Bands. And I was, you know, I definitely got some chops. And yet it was a guy who could sing and play the guitar and engage with the crowd that was getting all the attention. I'm like, no, I'm a better guitarist in this guy. Why am I not the one <laughs> winning these competitions? <laughs> So it, it took me a while. It took me a while. Um, Is that because you, I could see an attraction to wanting to shred or do this or do that because that is actually, it's measurable. Mm-hmm. I can go X fast. I can play the notes at this speed, this tempo, this thing. Mm-hmm. But the intangibles that David Gilmore is just talking about or mm-hmm. BB King or somebody like that, you can't measure that. You can't. And that's exactly right is sure. Like what makes me a better guitarist? Is it because I can play at this tempo and you can only play at that tempo? Does that really make me a better guitarist? Even though if everybody's listening to you rather than me, that's a mistake I fell into. I thought because I could play more notes in less time that somehow I was the best guitar. But here's the thing. I was never going to be able to play more notes in less time than Ingve Malmsteen ever. It doesn't matter. I could practice 12 hours a day. Sometimes I did. He just, he's just got something I don't. So it was, a, it was a losing game to start hardcore specialization for me, but you're, but you're absolutely right. Is that's, you know, even though that's measurable, that's not measuring the right thing. I wasn't measuring what actually matters and what actually does matter in that context might not even be measurable. Yeah, I don't think it is. And I think that's really why you're looking at the whole package. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's a that's a good point. I love it. I haven't I haven't got to talk about generalism much in terms of music, so I'm in, I'm enjoying this. Oh, good. Well, I've got another anecdote you probably already know, but I think it's awesome and it demonstrates everything. Um, when Ozzy Osbourne was coming out to release his first album, he put out an ad for needing a guitarist, mm-hmm. and everybody came in one after another, and they were bringing in Marshall stacks. Yep. And then one little dude came in with a practice amp and sat on it. Mm-hmm. Randy Rhodes. I was going to say, was it, was it Rhodes or was it wild? <laughs> it was Randy Rhodes and I mean, he blew everybody away. He didn't need a Marshall stack. Didn't need anything. Mm-hmm. You know, he had that classical foundation, the incredible tone. Yeah. And he's a really good example because he was virtuosic, but he was rhythmic. He was melodic. He really was the total package in so many ways. And, and like, no and humble. And, yeah. And humble. And, um, and wild too, in a very different style. He's still, I mean, some of his, just his deep chunky rhythm stuff is some of, I mean, just, um, yeah. Black label society. I mean, I love all of his stuff too. Very different in terms of style of Rhodes, but I enjoy them both immensely. And I would consider, I would put both of them though. Many people think of Rhodes as one of the greatest of all times. When you put him up against a, a mom scene again, it, he sort of, he sort of pales there. He was cut off before he could continue. That's it. So you don't know. Well, that's true. That's true. Very unfortunately he was, but, um, um Clapton on the other hand mm-hmm. goes and studies under everybody. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's how we got with Dwayne Allman. He was like, Oh my God, the slide guitar is amazing. How does he do it? And he goes and studies with them. Yeah. And he studies from what I understand. I'm, uh, and I am a Clapton fan. I, I saw him live probably. Oh my oh, goodness. Nice. When was that? In like 2000. This was a long time ago. Um, and it was, it was a beautiful concert, but yeah, he seems to like, this is a common theme among some of my favorite guitarists. You, here's another example, right? Uh, Nuno Betancourt from the band Extreme gave a great quote once, uh, and I used to study his stuff a lot, and I, I like him a lot. And he would say, don't be a guitarist, be a musician. Study all these different instruments. Study every style of music that you possibly can mm-hmm. because you don't know how one thing is going to carry over and make a connection that's going to you know, give you that breakthrough idea. Same thing, Marty Friedman, the guitarist from Megadeth, used to listen to Japanese Anka music, and the vibrato that the singers would use, he tried to emulate that on the guitar, which gave him his famous vibrato that that surprised everybody. It was that, that connection that he made, I would argue, as a generalist that helped him stand out as somebody who was trying to compete among a lot of other shredders. Maybe it wasn't quite as fast as, as, as you know, a Jason Becker or somebody like that, but had something unique that he was able to borrow by focusing on, on the breadth of knowledge as do much you know as... What a, do you know what a hit is? I mean, a true cultural phenomenon hit is? Mm, what's that something familiar mixed with something novel yeah no that's that's good i like that and that's what you were just describing yeah and that's exactly it right just like a a little hint of uniqueness within that within that familiar bedrock i think that's exactly that's exactly right acdc is a great example of that i mean they take all these familiar chords but then they'll just have that little bit of uniqueness Usually in rhythm, usually, usually some say cheekiness, uniqueness, usually in, in rhythm, not too complicated, something people can lock onto, something people can groove along with. It's mostly predictable, but not entirely predictable. Yeah. Well, and if you listen, I mean, before um, Brian Johnson, you can really hear it. 
because they were super cheeky early days. <laughs> yeah, the they were. God died. And that's an Aussie vibe and the schoolboy. I mean, it all really came out of that. And I'm not trying to take away from Brian Johnson. I, I just think that if you listen to like, um, especially first album, you know, I think it's the second album. Um, I've got big balls, you know, th- things like that. Yep. Totally a humor oriented band to begin with. And I think that humor has carried forth and that's part of what gives them that little quirk. You're right. And and the humor is in, in the rhythm and in the music too. It's not just in the lyrics. And I think that's what, it makes them fun. It makes them a fun band, right? It's, it's a party. It's, yeah. They're, they're always a party and they're yeah. contagious. And their album, Back in Black, I think is the third best-selling album of all time or something like that. Yeah, I know it was always like two or three. Th- Thriller usually gets the number one spot when I yeah. when I see those those themes come out. What else What else is up there? Um, if, if there are three, what's two? Stuff and I'm out of pop culture. Dark Side of the Moon has got to be up there. Yeah, that would make sense. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know about the, the rest. I'm not deep into it. Uh, but yeah, that's that's I mean that's where it all started for me was 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 music and I fell into the trap of specialization for for a long time. It took me a while to kind of back up like okay, I, I need to approach things a little bit differently here. Now, how's that spun over to um let's say fitness? Have you always been generalized there or did it take an injury to do it? <laughs> Thankfully no. Um you know, I think by the time I was getting into fitness, I realized that um, I probably was just never going to be the biggest or the strongest. I was probably never going to win a bodybuilding competition, so I never tried. I was probably never going to win a powerlifting competition, so I never tried. But I studied under some of the best bodybuilders, studied under some of the best powerlifters, learned as much as I could from each of those schools, and was, was very interested in being good to great at all of it even if I wasn't the best at any, any one of those. And what I realized is that's what most people want out of fitness. Anyways, most people aren't trying to, you know, get in the Olympics. Most people aren't trying, maybe they'll do a figure figure competition here or there, but most of them aren't really trying to be world-class. They want to be generally fit. They want to be strong, but they also want to have mobility. They want to be sufficiently muscled, but you know, nothing overly cumbrous. They want to be able to compete against themselves. So, that resonated with people, even though I wasn't initially expecting it to, because I always had it in my mind that people wanted to be Arnold Schwarzenegger. And some of them do, but a lot of them don't. Most of them, at least most of the people that I work with, are perfectly fine with being generalists. And then you mentioned injury. I think that's absolutely right. Is 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 if there's a, is if there's something about being a generalist in fitness is that it, it doesn't put fitness and health at odds, whereas being a specialist often does. I'm a runner. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I'm very, very familiar with that. Um, a lot of injured runners. Yeah, it's and 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 that's a peculiar thing, and that's something I, I try to talk a lot about. Is you know people often equate fitness and health; they're not the same thing. You know, fitness is is the ability to perform a task. Health is something like the ideal interplay of the bodily organs and systems, right? And you can, you can push fitness to such such an extent that you, you really decline in health. And if, you know, if you're aware of that, if that's your choice, you know, go for it. Sometimes that's necessary. Think of most professional athletes. Most of them are are taking some serious, at least occasional hits on their health, sometimes permanent hits on their health to achieve some level of fitness. All of them are really, I mean, if, when you get into the bleeding edge, you're right on the tip of that blade there, Mm -hmm. they all are. It, it, all of them are over overextending their ability they have to 
Yeah, I would say it's just sort of built into the system of specialization. And again, if that's your thing, you know, God bless you, go for it. But uh, it's not my thing. And it seems to not be a lot of other people's things as well. Most people aren't really shooting for the NFL. At least most of the people I work with, most people I talk to, um, they, they want fitness and health to be compatible. So if that's sure. intriguing to them, then Pat Flynn's their guy. And if they want to, you know, take gold in a powerlifting competition, then I'm, I'm probably not. Well, that's actually good then. Your desired client will filter themselves through. And that's exactly what's happened. And I know and I'm acquainted with some of the best powerlifters in the world. So I have all kinds of great places to send them if that's what they want to do. But, you know, I'm, I'm here to serve the generalists. And uh, I borrow ideas from all the systems, integrate them, and, uh, you know, make sure that, that health is the primary focus and that fitness is driving that and that we still do some cool things. I think people, I don't want to dilute what I'm doing. I think you can still be an absolute master in many different things, even if you aren't sure. the best in the world at any one of them. So I don't want to make it seem like we're promoting lameness here. I mean, I can, I can do some cool stuff, full, full handstand push-ups, muscle-ups, got a very respectable deadlift. I have very good lifts, but I've just haven't, I just haven't won gold in anything. <laughs> and bottom line, you can still do it correctly. Yes. Yeah. I would hope so after all these years. And that's um, a concern that I've had. And I want to ask you about an address. Mm -hmm. I'm not a big fan of CrossFit. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm curious where you stand on it. Well, it's funny because the history of CrossFit was before they were very generalist. The idea of getting, you know, developing all these various modalities to be capable across broad domains or, or whatever their slogan was. And I always agreed with that concept. It was very in line with what I was, was promoting myself, but I often disagreed with the process often disagreed with the method, but then somewhere along the line, it switched CrossFit instead of preparing people to be capable of and ready for almost everything became a sport in and of itself. It switched. It went from something that should have created generalists to something that itself became a specialization. And that was when I think it, it started to become, well, that's when I, it could become misleading for people, right? And that's where people will get into this. They'll get into the sport and they won't realize, hey, there's, there's, there's serious implications, potential injuries that, that can go on here. I mean, people blowing out their backs, their shoulders, their elbows, especially. And then on the extreme end, I mean, you have things like kidney failure. Rhabdo. And, yeah, rhabdo, so on and so forth. So, you know, again, um, the uh, so, I mean, what level of disagreement do you <laughs> – I have many with CrossFit. The process, I mean, on an on a individual programming level, things like doing high rep Olympic lifts for time really doesn't make sense for me. That, that right there. The problem I have with CrossFit is it's com competitive working out. Mm -hmm. I believe that any properly trained um, lifter, all your power lifters, everybody else would never say, like you said, the Olympic lifts are time. Well, it's one of those things like what is the Olympic lift for? Is it supposed to be a conditioning mechanism or is it supposed to be for power generation? It's real. It should be for power generation. Like if you want to get a conditioning effect, well, let's do kettlebell swings where we can essentially get most of what we want out of an explosive hip dominant movement without all of that marginal risk of whipping a barbell overhead, especially under fatigue. 
right? right. So it's just one of those things where it's I, I can think of at least 10 better options to achieve that type of conditioning or metabolic effect in that situation. Whereas, you know, the snatch is a great move, but this is something that we should be doing while fresh that we want to focus on, you know, usually do in a, in a lower rep type of scheme to produce as much power as possible. That's what that exercise makes the most amount of sense for. So yeah, I have some, I have some issues with some of the programming decisions. Now, if somebody's fully aware of what CrossFit is a sport like football, and they're fully aware of the risks and they still want to do it, who who am I to stop that? Right. But I don't think most people are aware of that just yet. Right. And they don't gain on limiting their audience. That's absolutely correct. Yeah. And while we're on um, subjects of, we'll say badasses, um, I understand you're not president of the uh, Jocko Willink fan club. <laughs> you know, it's, it's funny. I, I, first of all, I've never met Jocko. I'm sure he could choke me out in, in a very short order. Um, but so many people have, have recommended his, his books to me that I eventually picked them up. And I had to say I was, I was left unimpressed. I was left unimpressed. And maybe part of that is because I've, I've always been a lifelong reader. I think I've read some of the most challenging and important books of all time. So it takes a lot to impress me at this point mm-hmm. um, from a reading standpoint anyways. But I would just say that the, the hype and expectation uh, and, you know, no disrespect to, to him and what he's done. Uh, I'm sure his personal career sounds, you know, quite important and astounding from what I know of it, which is very little. Um, but I would just say, you know, the general message of discipline equals freedom is something that I generally very much agree with, but I just, I never got out of, out of those books, what I, other people seem to be getting. Yeah. I was in the military and he's a little much, <laughs> but, um, going back to your martial arts, so something you were telling me right before we went on, I understand you did jujitsu at one time, by the way, Jocko, if you're listening, I will still accept, the invitation to come on your podcast and we can work or he can come on yours. We can, we can, (laughs) but yeah, sorry, Eric, continue. (laughs) Right. I mean, he'd be a great guest too. Yeah, no, I mean, I mean, no doubt. And, and to be perfectly fair, I've never listened to the podcast. I, I, I'm an interesting, I guess, interesting bird in that sense that I do a lot of podcasts. I'm on a lot of them. I have my own, but I listen to very few. Mm-hmm. Well, if you're busy doing it, I I can sort of see that. Mm-hmm. But you're saying something about martial yes. arts, yep. uh, jujitsu. At one point, you were telling me before the show you uh, did it for a few years. Yeah. So when I was when I started Taekwondo, there was also jujitsu at that school. So I I I began these martial arts simultaneously and competed in both. And started Taekwondo, added Jiu-Jitsu, but then when college came around, I decided to go the path of Taekwondo. I still rolled for you know probably about that first year, and then realized it was it was taking away. Talk about you know diminished returns again. It was it was taking too much away from my Taekwondo focus that I decided to drop the Jiu-Jitsu. And it was you know I was rolling with a bunch of Brazilians. These guys were just tuning me up, which is often a great way to learn. But then you know just. I couldn't, I couldn't kick. I couldn't punch the next day. So I, I just, I sort of dropped that, um, focused 
almost exclusively on Taekwondo. I still had my conditioning and, and strength work outside of that and haven't really gotten back to rolling since. I, I see the guys at the gym doing all time. I'm like, am I going to get back into this at some point? I kind of want to. And then I see the cauliflower ear and I'm like, yeah, uh, okay. I can see that. Uh, well, I was going to say you actually are doing it in reverse. Mm-hmm. Most people do the Taekwondo and then they get into the jujitsu later. Yeah, it's one of those things. Well, you know, everybody wants to be an MMA fighter, right? So it's like, oh, well, I started Taekwondo or I started boxing and then I see this Hoist Gracie video and it looks like jujitsu is like the one thing that every martial artist like really needs to learn. So they go in that direction. And, and you know what? Fair enough. You know, like if you don't have a command of, of, of grappling at this point and you do want to compete in some type of MMA, you, I mean, I think you certainly do need to learn and study jujitsu. Um, I guess I just never wanted to be an MMA fighter. So it wasn't that much of a concern. I, I really love Taekwondo. I love the competitive aspect of it, which I don't do much anymore, but I also love the artistic aspect of it, the acrobatics, the demonstrations of, of strength, mobility, flexibility, all that stuff, um, the forms. Um, and yeah. Is there a lot of striking in that? I mean, are there problems with um, TBI? Well, it's mostly a kicking sport. So I, when people compare taekwondo to karate karate is actually mostly a punching sport it's like 80 20 depending what you do taekwondo will be 80 percent kicks roughly whereas Mm. karate might be um 80 percent punches so it's in it's in the olympics unfortunately i don't like the direction they're going with it because it's been degraded from this kind of like really cool you know like old school martial arts bruce lee type of stuff that that like when you envision like a classic martial artist that's that's what taekwondo always was to kind of a game of tag it's weird um mm-hmm. and you know just just point scoring where it's Once it's you're just tapping you're not actually full-on punching. yeah because of the way they score now it's 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 kind of i would argue have diluted it much and it was kind of going in that direction as i was finishing up my competing career and i was like this is this is getting lame i just i just want to do it the old way so yeah. Old man, Pat Flynn. Old man, Pat Flynn. Like, I actually want to <laughs> hit somebody. I don't just want to tap them, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, that might be good considering what's going on. I mean, jeez. You get a lot of people with their bells rung walking around. Well, look, I've been kicked in the head a number of times, and that's part of the reason that I'm not interested in competing much anymore because, I mean, that's that's the ultimate goal is if you're not scoring points on their body, you're trying to you're trying to get that KO. Um, so yeah, kicks to the head are a big point of Taekwondo and I'm frankly not all too eager to return to that part of it. So I've been focusing a lot more on the, the forms, the artistic side of it and not as much on the competing. Well, fantastic. Now let's pivot around to close out and we'll go right back to the beginning. Writing. You have a book coming out. That I do. Yes. I'm yeah, sure you want to talk about it. Yeah, well, it's called How to Be Better at Almost Everything. And the book is about well, a lot of the stuff we've talked about here. The The main argument I make is that in today's economy, as a human being in general, you're going to be better off getting good to great at many things, learning to stack skills to form competitive and creative advantages that way, rather than trying to be the best in the world at any one thing. So I'm trying to present a case against this age-old indoctrination that we all get as kids of, of just pick one thing and just go all the way with that. I think that that's a big mistake. I think that you'll have more fun. 
I think you'll have more opportunities to flourish. And I think you'll have a lot more opportunities in, in business if you focus just as much on the breadth and combination of skill as you do the depth. So that's the general thesis. Which is excellent now, but I want to clarify a couple of things because somebody could go about and say, oh, cool, I'm a dilettante. And they just, oh, I'm practicing this a little. Oh, I'm doing that a little. And they're not really learning. Yep. I don't think you're quite saying that. I don't know mm -hmm. if you're familiar with Anders Ericsson and the mm -hmm. concept of of um, deep practice. Yeah. So one of the principles of being a good generalist is you have to be a, a short-term specialist. And I, I tell people many times throughout the book to hedge against the the very thing you're talking about is you can't try and do everything at once and you can't just skill hop like people diet hop, you know, mm -hmm. um, you got to focus in for a, a, on something very specific, usually just one or two things at a time and just grind that thing to a pulp to get it to whatever percentage you need. And this is where the rule of 80% comes in. Like if you're right. getting near to 80%, it's time to focus on something else. Right. Um, but the truth is maybe you only need 10% of a skill to get mm -hmm. what you want out of it. So it's, it's going to depend, but the general point is, yeah, a good generalist is a short-term specialist. You got to get in the, the routine of being able to focus on one or two things at a time. Those are the priority, develop a, a good deep practice habit around that while at least maintaining everything else. And then over time you switch, you'll take that one skill that you were really focusing on that goes into maintenance. And then I'm going to surge in another direction. So you have this, this idea of surging and maintaining. So if you were to take a snapshot of a, of a generalist at any time, it would look like they're specializing, but then you all the time. But yeah, exactly. But then you zoom out and then you can see how the generalist foundation is being made. So it's an excellent point. I'm glad you brought it up. They're a serial specialist, so to speak. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. I have a, an analogy to that, and I'm wondering if you would find it to be the same. Um, when programming, I always encourage students that I've taught to find a project. Mm -hmm. Rather than try to learn a skill, um, find an outcome. You and then use whatever tools it takes to get to that outcome. Yeah. And you'll yeah. wind up getting that generalization through that. Yeah. Yeah. Did you get a copy of my book by the way? Um, no, no. <laughs> well, that's amazing because this is one of the principles I talk about. I, I call it integration over isolation. It's exactly, it's exactly what you're describing. Focus on the outcome you want to achieve, try to achieve that. And that will force you to then focus on all the things you need to achieve that outcome. And none of the things you don't, which is really important because so, and again, looking back to music, I could learn every possible scale. And I fell into this. I could learn all these exotic scales, all these different modes, right? I could spend eternity doing that and still never write a single song. Actually, right? I have a guy at work who does that and I tease him all the time. He collects instruments. Mm -hmm. I've challenged him to learn one song per instrument. <laughs> yeah, there you go. I mean, 10 years later, he still hasn't. Well, that's exactly it. I fell into that mistake myself. So I realized, okay, well, what do I really want to do as a guitarist? Well, I, I want to write catchy tunes. I want to be able to play tunes that people think are catchy. Well, do I need to to learn you know, 2,000 different guitar scales and modes to do that? Absolutely not. I probably need 10 at most. Or if I don't know one, I can learn it as I go to play that song that I need to play or to, to improvise in whatever way I need to improvise. So by focusing on the project, as you call it, or the outcome, on the integration rather than the isolation, you're going to be, you're going to be so much more effective because you already have the end in mind. So on music, build a set list. That's exactly it. It sounds so simple, but it's something that unless you, you start with that mindset, 
you're likely to fall into the habits that, that, that I so often did. Let's sit here and learn every exercise without following a program that I can with a kettlebell. Let's sit here and learn every scale. Let's sit here and learn, again, Taekwondo, so many different kicks I could learn. But if I want to win matches, I probably just need to get really good at about five of them, right? <laughs> and how to defend against the others. That's exactly right. So integration over isolation is the way I get at that in the book. Well, very cool. So when can the book, when can people get the book? Yeah, well, they can get it now. They can pre-order it now. And there's good reason to do so because in true book launch fashion, we have a whole bunch of goodies out for people who are interested. Um, so depending on whether you pre-order one copy or three copies or a million copies, if we have any true benefactors listening, um, we've got a lot of cool particular stuff. Um, that will integrate with the principles of the book. I mean, everything from nutrition plans to fitness programs, oh, stuff cool. for stuff for business owners too. Like you know, ideas on how to build an email list, you know, oh, get, nice. gather more people on social media. So you can see all that stuff. Uh, all the bonuses over at um, howtobebetterbook.com. Okay, howtobebetterbook.com, and I think you have a another site, Chronicles of Strength, or something like that. Yeah, that's the that's the primary place to find me and get a hold of me, and you can get on my email list there, which is which is the place to go if you want to hear from me more often, and that will push you to all my various social media outlets. And you also have your own podcast, The Path Lynch Show. That's correct. Yes, and we're going to have to have you on there pretty soon. I'm thinking. Awesome. Yeah, so well, that'll give hopefully your listeners some incentive to come over. It's the Pat Flynn Show. It's all about generalism. So, I mean, we talk about everything on there. We got segments on fitness, business, philosophy, you, you name it. It's 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 people people tell me that they find it interesting and at least part of it. So, you might find one segment you like, and another one you have absolutely no interest in. <laughs> and you just said um, two hundred episodes. So, yeah, I can't believe it, man. So I think I'm over that hinge point we were talking about. <laughs> I think I think I'm pretty secure in the habit now. You might stick with it. Yeah, might just might just follow through after all. Well, dude, this has been great. Um, I think we've covered a whole lot over the time, and I want to thank you so much for coming on, Eric. This was a ton of fun, man. I've been really enjoy it. I mean, music is one of my great passions in life, and so often I get on podcasts and I'll make a few guitar mentions, and the topic gets switched very quickly. So I'm, I'm glad we got to, well, jam around on it. <laughs> Perfect. I did not grow up with very much money. Money's energy. Money is something that really scares me. Yeah, I had about 60 grand in debt. Money isn't the answer. Somebody should just give me a lot of money. My dream was to be the WWE wrestler, but you realize that your dreams change over the years. Money's a tool. It's a key to a gate. And at the other side of the gate is the things that you really want to do with your life. It's the things that matter most to you. It's pursuing those values that make you ultimately happy. Listen to Inspired Money at inspiredmoney.fm. Hi, I'm Tyson Franklin, the host of It's No Secret with Dr. T, which is a small business and marketing podcast. Each week, I interview business leaders who openly share the secrets to the massive success. It's No Secret with Dr. T will educate, entertain, and inspire you. Check it out. You'll find it wherever you listen to podcasts, or you can go to my website, TysonFranklin.com.